Well, good morning and welcome once again to Connection Point Church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Amen. Well, we start a brand new series today through the book, the books of Thessalonians. Listen, as beautiful as a world that we live in, you need to understand as beautiful as it is, it's not the way it was when man first entered it. See, God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the perfect garden. But because of their sin, we now live in a world that is far from the paradise that God first placed man in. Today, we live in a world that is filled with with chaos. It's filled with disease. It's filled with all sorts of unspeakable evils. We live in 2020. It's a year that if it could happen, it has happened or it's about to happen. Can I get an amen to that? We got COVID-19. We got earthquakes. We got wildfires. We got murder hornets this year. Y'all ever seen those things? Those things are ridiculous. Don't want to be bitten by one of those for sure. We got canceled schools. We got canceled sports. We got canceled surgeries. We got canceled public gatherings. We got to cancel culture. And listen, if one hurricane isn't enough right now, we got two tropical depressions. I mean, come on, it's 2020, right? So why not? We got two tropical depressions coming together in the Gulf of Mexico, about to hit landfall and probably making two big hurricanes as they do it. Man, we've got one crazy world that we live in, don't we? world filled with chaos. So how do we live? How do we deal with the anxieties that can be caused by all of this uncertainty and all of this unknown that surround us? I'm glad you asked. Even if it was me who was asking. Paul's letters to the Thessalonians serve to encourage us as well as to do just that. He teaches us exactly how do, we, how do we live in times of uncertainty? In, in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he, he encourages the church to stand firm in the face of persecution. He encourages them in, in to keep going in their, in their faith and in their love and in the, their hope that they have in Jesus. And he also instructs them of the importance of staying focused, keeping their eyes on the soon returning king. So if you got your Bibles, if you'd go ahead and open them, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. While you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of background about the letter and who it is he's writing to. So Paul's writing this letter to the people in Thessalonica. It was originally, this city was originally started way back during the Greek Empire. It was started by one of Alexander the Great's uh, military officers. And later on, during the Roman Empire, it was allowed to remain free because they now had an allegiance to Rome. It was a city that flourished. It had about 200,000 people. So not a small town at all. It It was a large city. It was a harbor town, and it was also along the Roman road. And, and so Paul went to Thessalonica to plant a church because it was an incredibly strategic city. And if he could get a strong church established in that region, it would impact the entire area for Christ. 
So Paul goes to the city, and he first goes to the city, and he, he does what he was accustomed to do. He would go into the temple, into the synagogue, and he would begin teaching. He taught for three weeks before they chased him out. Three weeks. And the, the Jews uh, chased him out of there, and so he's no longer teaching in the, in the synagogue. So he went from house to house, teaching in the homes, before he was then ran out from there as well. So him and, and Silas and, and Timothy, they leave and they go to Berea, and they begin teaching there. But guess what? The, the Jewish believers, they followed him there, and they chased him out from there as well. So he's now in Corinth, and Silas and Timothy, they had gone and they had visited this church that they established in Thessalonica. And they come back to Paul in Corinth and they bring this report to him. And the report is so good. Paul can't hardly believe it. And that's why he pens this letter. He, he pens it to encourage them to continue on in what they are doing. You know, some of the letters that are written, you know how some of them go, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. He opens this letter by, man, Wow, I'm blown away by what you guys are doing. So he, he sends this letter. So let me tell you, today we start this, this series. And after seven weeks in Jude, which is one chapter, I know you're probably a little scared today. We're starting a series on two books, right? Listen, we're going to get through <laughs> an entire chapter today after seven weeks and one chapter previously. I, I, I'm going to try to get through this. Listen. My intention is to get through this chapter today. At 8.30 this morning, I went to move my notes from the program I used to write it into to the program that I used to put on my iPad here and have here in front of me. They disappeared. Gone. 100%, the only thing remaining was the title that said 1 Thessalonians Part 1. That was it. Listen. I manuscript out my notes, so I write between 3,000 and 4,000 words. It's all manuscript. I may not look at it completely the whole time, but I write it out. I know if I'm between 3,000 and 4,000 words, it's about 30 minutes. I got, I got what I could remember from my notes scribbled out here, but I write between 3,000 and 4,000 words. Can I tell you, I don't type 100 words a minute. I, if I could have remembered it all word for word from this morning, I didn't have time to type it all out. So we may have a short message or we may have a real long message, depending on how many rabbit trails I go down today. That's one of the reasons I write it out, because, you know, Paul tells us to take every thought captive. And when I don't have it all written out, sometimes I'll get up here and I'll start saying something and it will be a thought that I didn't quite take captive yet and say things that maybe I shouldn't have said. Wow. <laughs> Tony, who's not even in here, I can hear her laughing, who also works as my assistant at the district office, so she'll, she knows I'll sometimes say some things maybe I shouldn't say, I guess. So are you all ready? <laughs> Let's go. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, Sylva uh, Sylvanus, which is um, Silas as well, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm so lost here. I didn't even put the stuff up on the board. Good thing someone back there in the box is working. Let's try this again. All right, I'm ready, guys. Sorry about that. Thank you, Julian. 
All right, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. And you become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all Macedonia and Ahia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Ahia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen? Amen. Well, the first few verses of this chapter, they really just serve as an introductory. So verses 1 through 4 serve as an introductory to the letter, but we can't just gloss over it. There's so much good information in here that we could spend an entire day on verse number 1. And since I don't have my notes, we may just do that. But since I promised to get through the whole chapter today, we're going to try to not do that, and I'll try to just point out a few things to you here. The first thing Paul does there is it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So, so the first thing he's doing is he's recognizing Silas and Timothy. He, he's letting this church know that, that they are now there with him in Corinth, but he's also acknowledging the fact that they were there with him when the church was planted. He's saying, listen, I, I didn't do it alone. I had these guys with me. See, a strong church isn't built on just one person. I, if when they had left the church and it had only been built on, on Paul and his ability to speak, if it was only his charisma, when they left, it would have failed. But that's not what we see. Instead, what we see is evidence of a very strong church. Now, we've seen many large churches in our day that were built around the charisma of a single pastor. And when something happens, and when that pastor is no longer there for whatever reason, we often see the church fall apart. I'm thrilled that we have an incredible pastoral staff here. Each one here is serving, and they're, they're serving this body with their giftings that God has given them. And I'm thankful for them because we need all of them. But also notice in this passage what else he says. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, in saying to the church of the Thessalonians, that word church that we have translated church here is actually a Greek word that means assembly. So it says the assembly of the, of the Thessalonians. So it, it's talking about a group of citizens who are gathered together, Right. That, that's what Paul is saying here. We've just translated that to church, but it's really just a gathering of a, of a group of Thessalonians. But he does say, in God the Father, right? So these people, they were in Christ, were believers. 
And you'll see as we walk through this book, as we, as we go on, you're, you're going to see that each one of them were doing their part. And why is that imp- important? It's important because of this. A true church is built on teamwork. See, it's, it's, it's built on teamwork. It can't just be built with whoever's standing up here on the stage or whoever stands behind the pulpit. It takes everyone doing their part. And that's why he's, he's recognizing who he's writing this to. He's just not writing it to anybody. He's writing it to the church membership there at the church at Thessalonica. And he's saying, all of you are important, and I'm so glad that all of you are doing your part. So if you're here and you're part of this church, but you're not yet serving, I want you to know we'd love to help you discover your place of service. See, it's only when you're serving, when you're using the gifts that God has has implanted within you, has gifted you with, it's only then that you're going to find true fulfillment. See, it's in serving him and the body that we find we are truly walking in the will of God. So listen, if you're not serving, we want to help you. There's a place for you. It takes teamwork to build a great church. He goes on in that, that first verse there, and he says, Uh, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the assembly was not just an assembly of people from the town. It was, but it wasn't just a a gathering of just citizens. It, It was a gathering of people who were in God the Father and in Jesus the Son. This wasn't something that was always true in the early first century church, though, right? I mean, we just spent seven weeks in Jude where Jude kept talking about these false teachers over and over again. And what was one of the things that these false teachers were doing? They were talking about the fact that there were false teachers who were not instructing that, God, that Jesus was, in fact, a God. They were not teaching that Jesus was the Son of God. They, they were teaching that he was just another teacher. See, so, so it's important here that Paul says to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, a church has to be built on Jesus. And John later records the words of Jesus where he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the church has to be built on Jesus. The church has to believe that Jesus Christ is the head. The church has to believe that he is the Son of God. The church has to believe that he is God in the flesh. See, if the church is going to be a true church, a strong church, it has to believe that Jesus Christ came down from heaven. He took on flesh. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. They put him in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. See, if a true church is going to be a true true church, that's what it has to believe. It has to be built on Jesus. A church that doesn't have Jesus at the center is no church at all. 
a church without Jesus at the center is man-focused. It's really nothing more than a social gathering, and it will fail. But a church with Jesus as the center, Jesus himself said what about a church like that? He said, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He also says in this first verse, yes, still the first verse, We're going to get through all the whole chapter. He says, grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you. Grace, what is it? It's God's unmerited favor, right? it's, It's God's favor towards you. Does that mean that if God's grace is to you and you have peace from God, that you're not going to have persecution? Does it mean that you're not going to have trouble? No. In fact, this church that he's writing to, it it says that that the word came to you in affliction, yet you received it. So, I mean, there was persecution that was happening even in, in this church that he's writing to. I would say, in fact, the more trouble you have, the more grace you need. You're you're not absent trouble just because you have grace. And it's only in Jesus that we have peace, peace from God. You know, if you know Jesus, K-N-O-W know, then you know peace, right? But if no Jesus, (laughs) no peace, right? So if you don't, you don't have Jesus, you're not going to have real peace in your life. And when, when things like murder hornets come along, you're going to run scared. I'm going to tell you this. If I see a murder hornet, though, I'm not running towards it. Let me, let me just let you know. I'm going to have peace as I run in the house and shut the front door. We got these huge bugs on our front porch. I don't even see. There we go. No notes. Rabbit trail. This, we got these huge bugs that are like this. What are they called? They're called robber fly. I never even seen one before like a week ago. This thing looks like mean. I, I think it could like eat you or something. But if you've never seen a robber fly, you got you to gotta check it out. But let's move on. At my house? What? A true church, let's, let's keep going. A true church experiences grace and peace. Grace and peace, even peace from the murder hornets and all things of this world and all chaos. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to be filled with anxiety. You're, you're going to be filled with depression. You're, you're going to be filled with, oh no, what am I going to do? I mean, you turn on the news. It's unbelievable. Without Jesus. You're not going to have a settled spirit. It's only in our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord are we going to experience true peace in life. 1 Thessalonians 1-2 says this. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. God created us to commune and fellowship with him. Communication with him. Communication is a two-way street. It's talking and it's listening. You got to talk, but you also got to listen. You got to listen to his word when you read it. 
But you got to listen to it, your spirit when he talks, when you're in that quiet place with him. One of the greatest blessings we have in this world is an intimate time with the Father. It, it's where he comforts us. It's where he gives us vision for life. It's, it's where he gives us those next steps that we're often asking him for. Oftentimes we're like, what's next, God? What do I do next? It's, it's in that quiet time with him that he speaks to your, your, your spirit and, and he gives you those next steps, that he gives you that direction, that he gives you the peace that you're looking for. See, a true church is built on prayer. If you aren't making alone time with him a priority in your life, you're missing out on one of the greatest gifts that are available to you. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, see we're moving right along now, says this, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. In life, we work for different reasons, right? We, we have different reasons why we work. We work because we have to. <laughs> we work because we have obligations, like our family, <laughs> like bills to pay, like the banker who actually wants to get paid for the mortgage we took out. We, we work because we, there, there are things that we want in life, right? But listen. When we meet Jesus, our mindset shifts. Now our work is centered around Jesus. It's centered around who he is and what he has done. We no longer work simply because we have to. In fact, Paul gives us three reasons why the church works right there. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. He says it's our faith that moves us to work. But listen, this isn't a faith that we created. It's not a faith that, that we invented on our own. It's a faith, the word says, it, that is a gift of God. See, we didn't earn this faith. He gave it to us, and then we act on it. And when we act on that faith, it moves us to work. The second thing he says is love moves us to work. You see, when we come to the realization of what God has done for us, when we understand the love of Jesus to lay down his life for us, we can't help but be moved to work. He, he then says that the third is this patience of hope. And that word patience there is also translated as endurance or, or long-suffering. It's the endurance that he gives us. We couldn't endure without him. We couldn't do the work without him. He, he gives it to us, and, and it's this hope that we have in him that, that moves us to work. And a true church, a true believer, works. They work. James says faith without works is dead, and I'd say a church without works is also dead. Hey, we were talking this morning, uh, Juan and Toby and I, there's, there's a family up in Portland, Tennessee. They've moved here recently bought a place, had some, hired a contractor to do some work, and he skipped out on them. They're living in a 200-square-foot shed on their property because the house is unlivable right now. 
you've got, you got an opportunity to work. When, when the church says, bless you, and we're praying for you, and has the ability and the opportunity to step in and do something and does nothing, that's a dead faith. That's not an active faith. And, and here, Paul is saying, look, works is important. We don't work because we are earning our way into heaven. We work because of the faith that He has given us. We work because of the love we have for Him because He first loved us. We work because of the hope that we have in Him, that He is returning. Verse number 4 says this, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. That word election there means chosen. Knowing that you were chosen. Paul's saying, it's obvious to me. He says, knowing, beloved brethren, you're elected. He didn't have to guess or wonder. Why? Because their love was obvious. Their labor was obvious. Their faith was obvious because it wasn't something they simply talked about. It was something that was seen. He could see it. Why could he see it? Because they were living it out. They weren't just talking about it. Anyone can say, I'm a Christian. But it's something completely different when someone who does not know you can look at your life and know that you are his. That they can look at your life and know that you are chosen. Verse number five says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. It says the word came by power. See, Paul didn't just simply recite scripture. Paul didn't simply tell stories of Jesus. Paul lived them. In Paul, they had a preacher that walked the talk. He lived the life that he preached. There was power in his words because he lived those words. This was a group of people that he, that he was talking to that, that were desperately seeking something that could bring lasting change to their lives. And then comes in Paul. He comes in and he begins talking in the synagogue. And they see something that brought real change. You've got to remember who Paul was before. Paul was one who was, who was chasing after Christians, who was killing Christians, but he had an experience on the Damascus Road where he met Jesus, and his life was forever changed. See, so when, when Paul spoke, it wasn't just words that he was saying. It was real life change that was taking place. Verse number 6 says, And you became followers of us in the Lord. Why? Because they weren't just words. It was real. Even in the midst of persecution, they received the word with joy. They received the word in much affliction. That doesn't mean it was hard for them to listen to it. It was painful for them to listen to the word. It means they, they were being persecuted while they were receiving the word. And yet they received it with joy because it was alive. It was life-changing. They didn't just listen to it. They walked it out. They took the good news that he was proclaiming, and they began to live out this good news. What would happen if the church today would live out the word and not just be a Sunday Christian? We need to be everyday Christians 
living extraordinary lives. If we were, we would see the same thing that we see in verses 7 and 8 there. It says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Ahia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in uh, Macedonia and Ahia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not even need to say anything. So the preacher didn't even have to say anything because the people who were in the pews were living their life in such a way they didn't even have to say anything because the people were doing the work of the ministry. They were examples within the Christian community. This whole area, Macedonia to the north and Ahia to the south, it says it went out into this whole area. Other churches were recognizing what was happening in this church. And then he says, but also in every place. So not just within the Christian community either. It went out everywhere into the entire world. You see, because a true believer is a living testimony. Verse number nine says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Sorry about that. Notice it doesn't say, They clean themselves up and turn to God. It says how you turn to God from idols. It's a small distinction there, but it's very, very big distinction. It doesn't say, hey, we were serving these things over here and we know God's this direction. So let's get our life together and go over here and serve God. No, they were serving these idols. They were worshiping these idols and they turned to God. And then God did such a work in them that Paul writes to them and says, your election is obvious. It's known. People know you for your works, for your love, for your following after Jesus. They, they know you because God did something in you. You were these heathen people worshiping idols, and you turned to God, and he changed you. Because the word was life-changing. He knew because the word came to them in power and there was real change. These were just a bunch of heathens that had an encounter with Jesus and they turned the whole area upside down. See, this wasn't your grandmother's church that had um, the same people in it for the last hundred years who were just godly, saintly people. This was a brand new church that started up with a bunch of people who didn't know God, who were worshiping false idols, who had an encounter with Jesus and a life change. See, this this wasn't even a new church plant that was just filled with all of the other local churches, with all the people who got mad at their church. Said, oh, there's a new church. Let's Let's go over here and try that out and see if we can mess that one up too. It was a new church filled with people who didn't know Jesus, who met Jesus, and their lives were different. First Thessalonians, verse number 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, and even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is coming. 
there's a wrath that will follow. When he comes, we're out of here. But what about those who are left behind? It won't be good. The wrath is coming. There's a desperate world that needs Jesus. What I love about this church is it doesn't anywhere say that the pastors were so awesome that they went out and they, they won the lost and they knew the people, the, the people of the, the town and the region and the, the whole area from north to south to from, from Macedonia to Ahia. They all knew because of the pastors were so awesome. It was because of the people. They had a life change, an encounter with Jesus that was so real that they could not go the same as they were before. There was a change. It wasn't the pastors. It was the moms and the dads and the, and the businessmen and the businesswomen who were going about their daily lives, living it for Jesus. Their work was different. They weren't working unto themselves anymore. They were working because of the faith that was active in their life. They were working because of the love of Jesus. They were working because of the hope that they have in Him. And it says they were known. Paul knew that they were the elect because of their witness, because their lives had become a living testimony. There's a desperate world that needs Jesus. A world that thinks things are bad right now. This world is looking for someone or something to deliver them. And we know the one who can. And the world, as bad as it is, that they see today, is nothing compared to what will come. This world needs a true church. A church that is built with teamwork on Jesus Christ that lives in prayer that understands the grace and the peace that only comes in Jesus and the only way that they're going to know is if our lives are a living testimony words have got to be real in our lives. It can't be just something we come in here on Sunday morning and hear. It's got to be words that we walk out. That we have real change. You see, because his words aren't just words. When he speaks, the world comes into existence. Stars are formed. Life happens. we be that true church? Could we be those true believers that the world needs? Amen? Put your trust in Jesus and watch as his grace and peace be manifested in your life. Amen? Let's pray.